Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Live Baiting for Crystal Coast Redfish. I'm going to be talking to Captain Matt Littleton of Friendly City Fishing Charters out of the Swansboro area. And we're going to be talking about rigs. We're going to be talking about bait. We're going to be talking about locations. And then we're going to talk about casting and presentation once you're at that location. So he's going to walk us through putting a fish over the gunnel and in the boat, putting a redfish over the gunnel and in the boat. I'm looking forward to talking about with him about that. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving that saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in this latest and greatest chapter, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it's in this podcast series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And we're also looking just to get you guys excited, get you more confidence, to get you out spending, you know, get your family and friends out on the water, spending more time together on the water. I'm joined in this episode, just as I am in every episode, with my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe. Billy Thorpe of Co-Pilot Studios, which is a podcast studio offering podcast services for hire. Billy, here we are again. Here we are, Gary. Looking good, man. Feeling good. Feeling good. Doing some fishing. Well, you're doing some fishing. I'm talking about fishing. Watching fishing on YouTube, but that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Anyway, um, um, yeah, I, I, mean, I, won't go, I won't go down the route of how I never get invited on fishing trips. And when I do, they just so happen to be on the days does, that I got to work. But anyway, does anyone ever does anyone ever accept the invitation <laughs> to the pity party? I forget. Oh, uh, yeah. Everyone does, Gary. <laughs> you should you should do the same. No, <laughs> I refuse. All right. Now that we got the trash talk behind us. <laughs> Where's my button at? I get a, I get a little. There we go. <laughs> uh, anyway, new 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 software beta, but uh, man, let's jump right into this. Let's uh, give a little shout out to our sponsors real quick. And Gary, I know that you're a big fan of um, the RA8 or RA Hitch website, and so I put together a little something for you, man, just to just to show you a little bit about the Raleigh Apex Hitch website. Obviously, I'm not going to go through it, but just wanted to. You always talk about how nice it is, so I thought, you know what. Maybe people listen to this or watch it, and uh, and they want to see how nice this website is. So a lot of a lot of information about RA Hitch, uh, Raleigh Apex Hitch there, Chris and his team. Uh, so be sure to go check those guys out, and uh, let them take care of you. Let them get you hooked up. Hooked Man, up, no pun intended. They're great at what they do, and you can. I mean, for me, it's like part of their only part of their professionality is that website. I mean, you can tell they do a great job there. And uh, lots on that website to explore. I mean, that's part of what I enjoyed when I was checking out, you know, this very nice sponsor that joined the podcast and supported us. And I wanted to see more into what he was about and his company is about and impressed at every click. Yeah, absolutely, man. And also another impressive sponsor that's been with us since the very early days is Marine Warehouse Center. I get a quick uh, video from them. We'll be right back. 
Hey, it's Robbie with Marine Warehouse Center in Wilmington and Charleston. We are headquarters for Pair Custom Boats. These center consoles are handmade in Washington, North Carolina, and are custom designed for fishing and family fun on the water. Right now, we have several models in stock, and deal times on the custom orders are around five months. These boats are custom built to fit your needs, from the seating, the tops, the leaning posts, and the live wells. You design the entire layout of your boat. Come by and see for yourself why they're one of the fastest growing boat builders in the country. All right, Marine Warehouse Center. I'm digging them. Still digging them. I'm glad, man. I'm still digging them, too. And they're still I digging us. I, I mean, hope. they're video. That... I, hope, I hope they're still digging us. We'll see. I hope so, too. <laughs> I mean, and this is where I like to say, man, you know, the, the ad bit, the video bit is about buying a new boat, and you do want to get in touch with them because just like everywhere, man, there is a, you know, it, we are in an ordering situation with the shortage, so reach out to them sooner as opposed to later. But what I like to stress is, man, those guys are big on parts, big on service, big on relationships. And so, you know, they've been in business long enough. I've watched them operate both within the boating and the fishing community, and they want relationships. You know, it's not just, hey, how do we get people to come in and bring us money? Like, I, I love their style. Yeah, man, they are uh, class act over there, man. They go deep in relationships, that's for sure, and sp and do a lot of other stuff in the fishing world too. Not just sponsor our podcast, but they sponsor a lot of fishing events, a lot of tournaments, all that kind of stuff. Early so. garden events, like yeah. you know, they're they're in the community in several ways, doing parades, all kinds of fun stuff. But they're not doing comedy tours. They are uh. not getting up on stage <laughs> and doing stand up. Or let's play. Let's pray that Terrell doesn't take his show to the road. <laughs> just to Gary's phone. That's it. I mean, I I begrudge the day I shared my cell phone number with him, you know, because <laughs> I just get these calls and say, hey, I, seriously, I got a good one this time. I'm like, all right, Terrell, all right, let's dude. hear it. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. You're, you are a kind I'm audience. I'm always excited. All right, well, here it is. Yeah. This, again, I like to be clear. And it has nothing to do with I'm sponsoring the show and my excitement of these jokes. Just a disclaimer. Okay. <laughs> So Terrell anyway. says, why don't crabs like to share their food? I'm going to say because, no, I'm not going to say that. Why? I think you were guessing no. it. They're too shellfish. <laughs> okay, that was way better <laughs> than what I was going to say. I was going to say they're too crabby, but that's no. dumb. Yeah, that was yeah. dumb. Anyway. Shellfish. They're too shellfish. Shellfish. Okay. That's good, man. That's a good one. I like this. I mean, a little fifth grade-ish, but I like it. Like I said, I think we're headed to Terrell calling you instead of me. I'm in. <laughs> Let's go. Call me, Terrell. Tell me your jokes. Hey, hey, buy me a coffee. Buy me a coffee. No, Gary, you buy me a coffee, dude. Or somebody else can buy Gary or I coffee. If you enjoy this platform, if you enjoy what Gary and I are doing, creating this podcast, buymeacoffee.com slash Fisherman's Post is a really simple way to go, hey, we appreciate the podcast here we'll buy you a coffee and uh and also drop us a line i know people have been saying hey i'd like to see some more information about this subject or that subject so feel free to do that as well and we appreciate it man people have been super responsive with this which is like it's amazing so thank you guys and so you don't much. even have to buy us a coffee to throw us a suggestion man yeah. i mean you know we i do enjoy that sometimes people give us a great angle on a topic or a great angle on a guest and, you know, you don't have to be a contributor via buy me a coffee to give us feedback or to push, you know, throw ideas our way. You know, yeah. we are engaged in the creative process. We'll bring you along. Um, how about a fish photo? I also like a fish photo before we bring the captain on. Here we go. We got Brad Jones of Wilmington with a 36-inch red drum that was caught and released on live finger mullet while fishing near Figure 8 Island. 
Good looking fish right there, man. That's a good one. I guess that's 36 inches. You don't think so? I'm not going to call him a liar. <laughs> All right. I I don't know. I mean, it, it was it was he was kind of wearing no, it. Looks he was kind of wearing it wrapped. like a bell. It was wrapped. It was wrapped. Okay. I'm That's feeling. A, I'm feeling a little saucy. You figure I take new, a shot. I don't even know that dude. <laughs> Shots fired. I don't even know that Sorry, dude. Man, now he's gonna take a shot at me. Oh, dude, that'd be so much fun. He just fires up like a Twitter thread of just like trashing Gary Hurley. I think that'd be fun I, too. I would actually. join him actually. I'd be like, send it over, man. I'll contribute. Many would. I think many would join him. <laughs> oh man, we better get we better get on with the show, Gary. All right, guess well, is getting bored. Before I bring him up, a reminder: Billy's best takeaway at the end of this at the end of my t- chat with Matt Littleton. Billy's best takeaway. But right now, yes, I'd like to introduce to the podcast. Captain Matt Littleton of Friendly City Fishing Charters, operating out of Swansboro, really Swansboro, Emerald Isle, that whole Crystal Coast area. Welcome to the show, Captain Matt. Hey, thanks for having me, Gary. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to talking. So this topic, live baiting for Crystal Coast redfish. We're talking about rigs and bait. We're talking about locations. We're talking about casting and presentation. But as is the tradition on the Fisherman's Post podcast, I got two questions for you to get through before we get to the main event. Captain Matt Littleton, are you ready for your two questions? Let's do it. All right. I'm, I'm rooting for you. Question number one. So why should we listen to anything you have to say about a redfish? Well, uh, when it comes to catching a redfish, I'm pretty good at it. I've got, um, I, I mean, I offered to hold it up, but I think you guys said I'd be all right. I've, uh, I've got a handful of tournament wins under my belt. I've got a million top five, top 10 tournaments. Um, this is my seventh year guiding. I've been fishing my entire life, uh, born and bred right here in Swansboro. So, you know, catching redfish has been a big part of, you know, just growing up around here and it was, uh, just a natural transition into chartering. Um, but I mean, if, if it all comes down to hardware, I mean, I've got that, I've got the time. So hopefully, you know, that'll be enough for people to want to hear it. I think it is, man. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about redfish. Question number two, and as is the tradition, is a non-fishing-related question. So what I did is I got on the internet and looked up. According to Expedia users, Matt Littleton, what NC town ranked in the top 25 in NC as the friendliest cities in the U.S.? Now, let me repeat it, you know, because you're, you're saying you're friendly city fishing charters. According to okay. Expedia users, what NC town ranked in the top 25 as friendly cities in the U.S. Are they calling a town just anything? Like oh. a, any... Or a, a, yes. I mean, I'm not sure uh, that's the correct answer, but I'm going to I'm going to say it's probably Asheville, if I had to guess. You know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you no. Expedia users didn't put a single North Carolina town in the top f- 25 friendliest cities in the U.S., which might say something to Expedia that we should look into deeper, but... MapQuest Travel, same question. Yes, Asheville, you're right. Asheville made the list of one of the friendliest cities in the United States. Good instinct. Um, All right, let's talk fishing, though. Let's move on to fishing. Live baiting, live baiting for Crystal Coast redfish. You know, I guess what we'll sort of qualify here is, you know, we're talking about early summer or summer fishing because I'm guessing it might change a little bit according to the seasons. But let's give it that focus. According to our our show notes, we're going to talk with rigs, and I think you got a lot of specifics when it comes to rigs, even for just you know live baiting for reds. What do you got? Yeah, so um, I mean, you, you're going to want to start with a medium rod, seven foot medium. You can go bigger if you want to get bigger on your cast, but 
that seven foot medium rod is going to give you the ability to launch that rig that you're throwing for live bait because you're going to be using, you know, by the time you're done with it, you're going to have a mullet that probably weighs a couple ounces with three quarter ounce egg weight most of the time. And you need a, you're not looking for tip sensitivity on a rod like you would be with, you know, something where you want that extra fast tip or something. You want a good bodied rod that's going to be able to handle your cast that you're going to make and be able to help you target that cast. You're not going to get a lot of flop or a lot of lay in it. And, uh, from there, we're going to get into the actual rig. And uh, I know, you know, everybody knows Carolina rig and everybody talks about it. But what I use and I've seen so much success with is this modified Carolina rig where we have the weight on the actual rig itself. And that's going to be the game changer for just about everybody. This gives you the chance to actually cast for the fish, target cast for the Carolina rig. You're not having to. I know everybody that's thrown a Carolina rig where you tie it traditionally with the weight above the swivel. You've you've thrown your bait and watched your weight go one way and your mullet go flying the other and the line just feeding through it. And this gives you the opportunity to put it all together in the same spot and really hook up. You start with I use um for my general rigs that I tie, it makes these really easy. The the real nice thing about these rigs is that you can pre-time. You're not if you break off having to get everything out. You know, put your egg weight on, then dig your swivel out, tie that on, uh, a bead ahead of that if you want, and then tie your leader and tie a hook because you can't really pre-tie them. With a modified rig like this, you can, you know, when you're watching TV, tie up 15 and 20 of them and have them in bags ready to roll in case you break off. And that's really a game changer for a lot of people that don't have a lot of time on the water. And uh, to start the rig, I use these owner Mutu light circle hooks. They've got a little more offset in them than the tournament ones they make like this. So these just have a little bit better of a hookup ratio. But the uh, that, that two aught, we have some people that aren't watching. We have some people that are listening. So two aught's your favorite size. Does that change throughout the year at all? You typically want the hook to match your bait. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of redfish won't eat. So you can get the, you're always going to want your hook to match your bait. So if you're using some bigger chunks of mullet or you're using, you know, bigger chunks of pogey, you can upsize all the way up to a four-aught. But for the most part, if I'm going to tie just my regular old, if I'm sitting at home not knowing what kind of bait I'm going to catch in the morning until I'm out there, the two-aught's my utilitarian go-to. Okay. All right. What well, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to get, get oh, that yeah. out. So what you got, man? No, what are we doing with that two-aught hook? So the first thing, and it's probably going to be a little hard to tell on this camera, but you're always going to want to snell a circle hook. And – I know a lot of people have different, they like kale hooks, they like different sorts of things they can go to, but your all-time best hookup ratio is going to be a snelled circle hook. And I know some people prefer loop knots, and a loop knot is a better option than just straight tying to the eye, but it's still not as good as a snelled circle hook. All right. And that's more right there. Something vital whenever you're doing this. I know some people, what they'll do, especially when they're old drum fishing and they use, you know, like a full circle hook. These are more of a like Nautilus style circle hook, but you always want your line on your snell to be coming back out the eye facing the uh, thumbnail of the hook where it lips back. And if we had, I can kind of give you a little idea of it, but whenever you're fishing, it doesn't matter what direction the hook is whenever the fish picks the bait up. When he swims off with it and the snell is coming out the front, you're always going to get that hook up every time. And if you tie it backwards coming out of the backside of the hook, you're going to get that 
opposite effect. You'll be getting the backside of the hook every time the shank pulling across the hookup zone. So you're always going to want to touch Snell out the front, and then that gives you the Snell rolling the right way every time so that you always get that hookup you want. That makes sense. I like that. I like that attention to detail. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the it's the little things that – because th- what this does is prevents – I mean, how many times have you guys ever been out red fishing and you've got a Carolina rig out and you watch that red – you watch your rod just, I mean, come down and slap the side of the boat and then it comes right back up and, you know, the fish has gotten off. That's what you're getting when you don't have a snelled circle hook with your line coming out the front of the hook. All right. Walk me through some more of that rig because, I, I mean, I, I love the detail we're giving this rig. Yeah. So then whenever you tie the rig, you start out with about 18 inches to two foot of line. And after you snell your hook on the line, you go about halfway up the line. And it's really tough to see on the camera, but there's a little tiny overhand knot right there, right where my thumb's at. Yeah. You just tie an overhand knot halfway down the rig. And then after you're that, you slide your bead down. And then once your bead's in place, you drop your egg weight. And then you take the rest of the tag of the line and tie it to your swivel. And what is that line you're using? What I'm using, this is just a, uh, it's a, if you can get it, I know a lot of people like to use Flora for everything, but the rate that I go through it, I kind of had to find something a little more affordable. And I use the Yozuri Fluoro Nylon Hybrid um, mainline as my leader. And you can, I mean, it's like 40 bucks for 600 yards of it. And as long as I've been using this, I've never had a break off. I mean, I've never had the line fail on me. Let me say that different. I'm, I've never had a discernible difference between this and actual fluorocarbon. So if you're ever looking for the cheaper way to go, that's what I like to use. And if you were tournament fishing for big money, would you use that? I'd still use this right here. Okay. Yep. And then what size are you tying these with different size egg weights? Like, again, you don't, you don't know the size of the bait the next day. What's your approach with what, what egg weight you're pre-tying? There's never really any, a three quarter ounce is going to do you the most good. Most of the time, if you're in some, if you're going to be in an area where you're fishing with big current and a lot of, uh, you know, you're going to need a bunch of, uh, I don't know, somewhere with a lot of current and there's going to be a lot of things going on then you can maybe go up to an ounce, but I've never really found a situation I needed to go heavier than three quarter. And sometimes during the spring, whenever we're trying to get on spooky schooling redfish, we'll go with, uh, you know, lighter half ounce, sometimes a quarter ounce egg weight, but you don't really, since we're talking about, you know, summertime live baiting, that's not something that we're really going to have to worry about. And so the lighter egg weight just means less disruption when you cast it out. It just sort of enters the water more quietly. Yeah, you do Gives you a better uh, profile on the water when it hits. Okay. You don't have to worry about it, you know, splashing or plunking the way you usually would. And then, uh, I don't, I don't think you mentioned when we were talking about the rods, but are you, are you spooling with braid? Or are you spooling with mono? What's your finish? Always this off. Always braid. There's, uh, I mean, unless you're big game fishing offshore, there is, there's no reason you shouldn't be fishing with braid for everything. And you got a certain size you that you is your go-to for spooling. Yeah, I mean, I use uh, 15 is going to be your utilitarian for everything. You can get away with that. But for especially live bait, 15 is kind of what you want because most of the time when you're fishing, usually when you're fishing uh, live bait, you're going to be fishing around rocks. You're going to be fishing around structure. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But that gives you just a little bit of extra defense from getting cut off. But if I'm, if Matt, if I'm fishing for me, 
and I'm probably going to have 10 on there because it doesn't seem like much of a difference, but the difference in castability between a 10 and a 15 pound braid is night and day. Okay. Um, I think this is where, well, I'll ask, like, unless you got something else to give us in rigs, I, I'm sensing it's time to move on to baits, but I don't want to assume I'll, I'll let you, any final thoughts on rigs before we move to bait? Um, just the, I mean, you can, as far as reels go, I mean, anything from a 2,500 to some people will go to a 4,000, but a 2,500 will do everything you need. And 2,500 to 3,000 will do. I'm a, I'm a pin man. I've been fishing pins my whole life and I've never had a reason to not fish pin, but, uh, that's just for me. Okay. Any, use anything you want. So if I'm, I'm going to push this to bait, if I'm live baiting in the summertime. Yep. What's what's what does Matt Littleton like the most? You're going to be either using a pogie or a mullet, and it'll always be one of the two. So early early summer, you'll get to see where there'll be those big bait balls of pogies in the waterway, and that's a super super easy bait to catch. You know, especially whenever you're first out there early morning and they're rolling around on top, it's you know super easy to put a net on them and catch a bunch of them. And I use a I use a six foot. Uh, uh, high t- or, uh, six foot old salt cast net from Betts. It's just a good net. It's they sink fast, all lead, works well. And um, you can go with a bigger net, but for catching bait for inshore, you're not really going to need anything bigger. And uh, unless you're really good with a bigger net, it's easy to get sloppy really fast with a big net. So a six foot net or anything smaller, as long as you're comfortable throwing, it, it's good for them. But uh, most of the time, if you're going to be using pogies or menhaden when you catch them like that. We're going to end up using them as cut bait just because they they struggle to stay alive. They really do. But um, 99% of the time, if I can, I want a mullet. Okay, so mullet is preferred hands down for you over a pogey. And then that is because, in part, because it's easier to keep a mullet alive? Or it's just, no, man, live men hitting live mullet, mullet 99% well, of the time. I mean, you figure they're out there every day eating mullet. You know, a, a pogey's a good bait for them if they can come up on it, but they're the mullet's what they're eating all the time anyway. And it's it's easier to keep them all alive. And especially, like I said, if you're catching pogies, they're going to be dead, and you're gonna you're gonna be relying on scent at that point whenever you're fishing. But whenever you're we're talking about live bait fishing, you're going to be using a mullet, putting them out there, and that's part of the nice thing about live baiting is that you're letting the bait fish for you. You're not having to you know, put any extra effort in or do anything else. That mullet's down there going nuts because he knows something bad, bad's about to happen to him. And that's what we're waiting for the redfish to pick up on. All right. I got two questions, maybe even more. Okay. So what is your ideal size of mullet that you like to put on the hook? How do you put it on the hook? And then even though it's only 1% of the time, I guess the same question for the pogey. <laughs> All right. So the, uh, ideal mullet is, um, it, that's a that's a little bit of a loaded question because I know I know what I think I know about what I need to use, but then we'll catch fish and they'll, I mean, a finger mullet, you know, a little bit bigger than your finger is just about what you'll want. You know, everybody knows a bait size mullet, a finger mullet when you see it. Um, I've never really found a spot where one was too small. I mean, they'll as long as he's on the end of the hook and he's going nuts, you'll be all right. But I never try to if it feels weird whenever you pick one up, like you think this is probably too big, he's probably too big. But at the same time, I mean, I can't tell you how many mullet we've caught tournament fish or how many redfish we've caught tournament fishing. And, you know, they get stressed in the live well. And whenever we open that live well up, there's a mullet, you know, longer than your hand in the live well that they've regurgitated. Huh. All right. And how do you hook, how do you like to hook that mullet? 
you want to go right through his nose. So, you know, assuming my finger, this is the head of the mullet. When you look on the bottom of his uh, chin, I guess we'll call it, they have uh, where their gill plates come together. There's going to be a little gap right there, right in between that. And then you come right out the top of their head, just like that. So you have a hook, exposed hook and you just, I mean, it's not much that you need to get in there, but you'll feel it when it comes out the top of their nose, you'll feel that crunch when it comes through that kind of pop. And that's how you know you've got a good hook in the mullet because there's nothing worse than when you get your rig right. Then you throw that mullet off the other end of it because you didn't hook them good. Well, um, and then what about, again, even though it's slight, how about the pogie fishing? If we're going to fish pogies, like I said, they're, they're probably going to be cut bait. And mullet can be a great cut bait. I mean, if you're, especially during the summer, you know, when the water starts to cloud up and if we've had a bunch of rain or anything, once visibility goes down, using cut bait turns into a better option because you're going to need that scent to get out there for them. And when it comes to being greasy and nasty and smelling bad, a menhaden is right on the top of that list. So what we do with them is take the menhaden, cut them into chunks. They'll be greasy, oily, and everything. And what I like to do with them is on the top of their back, as long as you get the hook to go through their backbone and come out the other side so you have exposed hook, then you're good to go. You just want to make sure you get through those bones and that meat so that you have something to grip the hook. So I like what I like the detail you gave there. So if we got cloudier water, if it's just not that clear water, then it becomes where dead bait might be an option, a better option. Mm-hmm. But this is our live baiting for redfish. So, what are the conditions that and why is live baiting and when and why is live baiting an advantage? It's like I said, for the most part, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of fishing. You don't have to, not to say that it's a, a dumbed down kind of fishing, but it's instead of having to try to figure out where the areas are holding fish or you know, having to cover a lot of ground on top water, having to cover a lot of ground with a jig, trying to figure out where they're at and then hope that they're going to want that color you have or do they need something with scent on it or anything. You're putting what they naturally feed on in front of them and it's distressed and going haywire and it can't go anywhere. So it's it's almost like a natural call bait for the fish because they're going to come to it whenever they realize that it's there. And it's just a really good way. If I'm fishing, say, by myself and I want to fish a jig, I can only fish one rod at a time. That's all I can do is throw that one jig and work that one jig. But if I want to go into an area and we do, I mean, it's one thing that's really advantageous for fishing charters is that when we go in an area, I can set up, put the boat down and, you know, say we go into a pocket where you have a point, an oyster rock, a little bit of a pocket bay that comes out to another point and then it dips into another bay. If you position the boat right, I mean, you can set six rigs up and make sure that you've covered that entire area and you're effectively fishing, you know, what you would have had to have done with the jig and hoping you placed it right. And you've got the right one at the right time on the right part. You're doing that. You're taking all that out of the equation. And now you're putting a natural bait that the fish is feeding on anyway in all these locations. And you can effectively manage six rods at once. Makes sense. I mean, I like, I like the numbers game. I like the ease of it too. So what about, I mean, and you just touched on them here. And, you know, it's the question that everyone has about where do I go? Where do I go? Where do I go? So you just, I think you just hit on some of the scenarios you often see in the Swansboro area, but I'm going to set the question separate. Give us some insight about where. That's what people really want to know. Yeah. So uh, the marsh is kind of its own animal because once you get into the marsh, there's tons of little tiny things that can be, you know, that can change about where they're going to be at. But for the most part, if 
if you're your average person going out and you want to try to find redfish and you want to find where they're going to be at, the best place to look is structure. Any kind of structure you can find is always a good spot for redfish. They hide in that structure and use it as ambush. And anytime you see a broken down old dock, like in the White Oak River, if I can find a broke down dock, it's my go-to. I mean, if you, and it's, it's something you got to be mindful of whenever you're live baiting for fish. It's not whatever you think you might hurt or whatever, even what I'm telling you today. If you see something you think looks like it might be fishy, take 20 minutes to go sink five rigs on it. You know, take 20 minutes to go sink two rigs on it. Just, you know, you never know what's going to happen, especially if you find an old, the more beat down the dock looks, the better off. You know, the less traffic that's there, the better chance there are there being fish there. And that's always the best place to start if you're trying to get out. And then from there, the next thing is going to be oyster rocks. You know, oyster rocks just, there are little inshore reefs pretty much that just breed life. And any, any oyster rock you ever find, there's a hundred percent chance there's probably a redfish on it. All right. So the top two would be structure and oyster rocks. Now, how about, um, what was I going to say? So how about, and this might be jumping off of this topic quick, but how about where am I putting that bait in relation to the dock? Where am I putting that bait in relation to the oyster rock? Like what makes you decide how to fish an oyster rock, how to fish a dock? So a lot of that's, you got to think about how the fish would be in the structure. And I've luckily got a lot more time than, than most people. So I know how that works for me, a lot of trial and error, but then just how they are. But if you, when you're fishing a dock, it can get, it can get kind of sketchy and it's kind of scary because you're, you're going to lose rigs and uh, you always want to try to get them back. If you can, you don't want to be leaving rigs on people's docks. You don't want to be you know, leaving exposed hooks places. But if, your dock's right here from the side. You're looking at it from the front. You want that rig to be right there. You know, you want to get it in the dock or under the dock, as close to the dock as you can get it. But then whenever you're fishing oyster rocks, you're not going to be throwing directly on top of the rock. You know, most of the time you're going to want that bait sitting just off of it because the fish are going to be cruising down the rock or on the side of the rock. They're not going to be on top of it. So what about moving water and how it affects what we're just talking about here? You know, like, I can pull up to a dock and I can throw under it and I can be on the, you know, uptide side or current side or the down current side. What's your thought there? So I like to be, it just, it kind of depends on, you want to, it's how you can get your boat set up and how you want the wind with you too. Like, so if you're, if you can get your boat set up, if I want, ideally I'd like to be on the down current side whenever I put my rigs out, but sometimes you just don't have that luxury or sometimes you have to set up on one side of, you know, it's not with structure. It's kind of what you can get and when you can get it. Not to say that you can't catch a fish there on only a particular tide, but sometimes you'll find where, you know, I'd want to be on the down current side, but if the current's too strong, I'm throwing my bait directly to the current. It's going to come back at me. So if I can get on the other side of the structure and throw my bait with the current, that egg weight's going to hold it in place and it's going to stay exactly where I want it. But then it might be a little bit slower fishing because you're going to have to have the fish backtrack and get to your bait. Okay, I follow. That makes sense. So now, same question with the oyster rock. Oyster rocks can be tricky sometimes. They'll, uh, ideally, if, and especially where we're at, I'm, I'm not sure in Wilmington how the tide is down there, but in the Crystal Coast, for sure, we've got, you know, we don't have a ton of tide. I know you guys probably have, what, four or five feet of tide down there? I, th- I would say a good four, yes. Yeah, we're maybe working with two feet on a good day. And, but we are, we're in that perfect little range where, you know, oyster rocks are out of water on low tide and they're underwater at high tide. So if I'm fishing 
and so say you're fishing on a low tide rising and the water's having to get pushed down the oyster rock then you're going to want to fish on that side of the oyster rock the water's getting pushed because at that point your bait's getting flushed down the oyster rock but once the tide gets over the rock then you're working where you want to fish the leeward side of the rock where that calm area is because that's where your bait is getting flushed over the rock at that point if that makes sense yeah man that makes sense and uh is there a particular tide in general that you prefer for dock fishing a particular tide in general you prefer for oyster rock fishing most of the time the higher tide does well on docks just because there's more at that point there's more area that they can cover um but oyster rocks are kind of, and we'll get to the marsh in a second, but that's your, your oyster rocks are really situational because, you know, your dock just, your dock, they're holding to the structure. They're not there feeding on a certain current or a certain tide most of the time. They're there for the, the structure. They might just move on a low tide. They might move out towards the deeper end of the dock. And then on the high tide, they'll pull out or pull up towards the shallower side of it. But on when you're talking about oyster rocks and then a lot of the marsh grass too, you're not fishing you're fishing the tide you need for that spot. You're not fishing a certain like pattern behavior out of the fish. Okay. And so, I mean, you just mentioned marshes. I was wondering if we're going to go there. I mean, Swansboro certainly is rich in marshes and shallow bays and bays and grass, you know, endless grass lines to target. So let's push, I guess it's time. Let's go, let's go there with the conversation. Yeah. So, a lot of uh, part of what makes the bread fishing in our area so good, like I said, is all the marsh. And part of what feeds that is that we have all the shallow water inlets, a ton of shallow water inlets. So that helps gives the reds a lot of area to move in and out, come in and out. And any kind of bay or pocket that you find near those inlet areas, it's always going to be a great idea. It's always going to be a good spot to try. I mean, I know I've got, you know, I've got my areas that I prefer and I've got areas that I don't like the fish as much, but they still hold fish and I'll still go to them. I'm just partial to my spots, but say, you know, around Bogue Inlet, all that stuff over there around Emerald Isle, um, you know, towards uh, Hammock's Beach and everything right back behind there. There's, there's just lots of good area back there. And anytime you find a pocket or I mean, not to say that you, there'll be at times that you'll find places that are just way off the beaten path and it doesn't look like a spot fish would be, but for whatever reason, they still end up there every year. But if you're going to go out, you're going to look and you know, you're, you're Google earthing, you're looking at, you know, everywhere the night before you're about to go out. I know if, if, if any of the viewers are like me, every, as much, as much as I've done it, I still have to look at Google earth every night before a trip. I'm on there just looking, thinking, do I want to try here? Do I want to go here? Do I want to go here? And it, Anywhere you find a pocket or a bay or just really a good swing of marsh grass, and usually you're not looking for like a straight wall of marsh. What you're going to be looking for is marsh that ends in a point or marsh that ends, you know, in a pocket or somewhere that you have to think that the fish are trying to use the grass as an ambush area. So anywhere that you see an oyster rock come near the marsh or you see the marsh grass tip out at an oyster rock, come to a point by a rock. That's going to be the areas that you want to set up at, the areas you want to find. And am I putting the bait as close as possible to the grass line, or am I covering some different areas? Like, you know, I, it seems like you like multiple lines and you like options. So what is your approach? Your best rule of thumb is that you're always going to want your bait to be about, I'd say, three feet off the grass. That gives you, you're in that, that strike zone area, that perfect spot, because 
for most tides, I mean, if you think about how shallow you're going to be in the marsh, we, we don't really have, you know, flooded marsh. We don't have a lot of that where you figure if you're, if you're directly on the marsh grass, you're either going to get caught on an oyster rock or you're going to be in water that's probably a hair too shallow for the fish. And so I was thinking of this other question. I think you kind of talked about it with like, you know, not just a straight line of grass, but like, you know, again, people are going to watch this and I hope they call you. I hope they should call you and they should go fishing in Swansboro. It's a special place, but some people are watching the podcast just trying to help their own game and they're not in the Swansboro area. So if I were going to say, Hey, Matt Littleton, I'm going to ship you and you're going to fish the Southport area tomorrow. Are you going to fish the Mm -hmm. South Topsail area tomorrow? And you're getting on Google Earth. Like, what is it that you would be? What homework would you be doing? Because this is the same thing they'd be doing, you know, to try to take what you're talking about and apply it to their own backyard. Bays, any kind of bay that I see, any kind, anytime you see a bay, that's what you want to look for. And uh, a lot of times on low water, what I'll look for is um, if you see something that looks like a ditch, you know, like a connecting channel or um, anything like that. That's always a good idea. And something else that. Anytime you see a feeder creek, so especially if you're on a bay and you see it, anytime I see a bay somewhere, that's always going to be the first spot that catches my eye. And then from that, I'm going to look for any kind of feeder creek or any kind of pocket that's inside of the bay. And especially on a falling tide, if you can find a feeder creek that's feeding back into the bay, that's, I mean, that's clutch. I mean, those are going to be some of the areas. Anywhere you see bait getting flushed also would be a good idea. But if I'm just on Google Earth and I'm looking for, you know, like you said, if you drop me in Southport and that was where I was going to have to fish, the first thing I'm going to do is pull up the marsh and I'm going to start looking for bays, you know, pockets of bays that I can see on the map. Man, that make that makes sense. So it's really just trying to predict bait behavior because that's what the reds are doing is following the bait behavior. That's exactly it. Um, I think we've covered it, but I'm not sure. Cause like in our show notes, we had talking about casting and presentation and we've been talking about pulling up to a dock and we've been talking about pulling up to oyster rocks and even you know, grass lines. Now, is there anything mm-hmm. you imagine for that category that I haven't set you up to share? No, that sounds pretty good so far. The only thing I want to touch on, and we, you know, you were talking about tides with docks earlier is that, you know, redfish aren't so much like a speckled trout where a trout needs, you know, where you'll hear people talk about, you can only catch this trout on a falling tide. You can only catch them on a rising tide. And a lot of people get, kind of set in that mindset that they need a rising tide or a high tide for red fishing, but redfish, they're going to eat when you find them. They're, they're scavengers by nature. They don't need the tide to feed. It's not bored into them to do that. But what you're going to be looking for is some of the best places I've ever, I mean, what, the best place I've ever caught redfish in North Carolina ever was a rock bottom dead low tide spot. And it was just because when the tide fell out, it's where the fish had to go. And some of the best fishing you'll ever do is on a low tide, but you got to, what a lot of people have to get their mindset out of is that the, they're thinking that they need the tide to catch the fish when really what they need is the tide to get their boat where they want to go. And even on a low tide, just because the tide's falling out from where you want to put your boat, the fish are going to be within 200 yards of where you would usually catch them out on a high tide. They just move with the tide. So there's not really a bad tide in them. There might be a time that it's better for you to get set up to catch them, but it doesn't mean that you can't catch them on one tide or the other. All right. Hey, uh, what else, man? Any other final thoughts on live baiting for Crystal Coast redfish? Uh, The big thing, like we touched on, um, is just making sure that you're set up and ready to go before you get there. You want to have your rigs ready. 
make sure you've got them snelled right, your lines tied right. You want to make sure all that's good to go. Um, you know, there's plenty of different options. I know some people like a traditional Carolina rig. This is the way I do it. It's easy to get yourself tied up. Um, and you can't be scared to try places. I mean, I know a lot, so much of uh, what fishing is and like what we do, you know, helping educate people on fishing is they get stuck on the mindset of, well, this is what I have to do because I read this or saw this or heard this. But, you know, it's only it's only done if it doesn't work. And you don't know if it won't work if you don't try it. If you're at a spot, I just thought of this. If you're at a spot and you got your baits out, maybe you got four baits out, five baits out. How long will you sit there without a bite before you move on? I usually let my baits go through twice. So what I'll do is put a round of baits out. We'll let them sit for five minutes, 10 minutes ish, somewhere, seven minutes, I guess. And um, if you're getting... It's not so bad with live bait because you're not getting destroyed by pinfish as bad. But if you're using cut bait, you're going to get hit by pinfish and you're going to have to swap that out and put a new bait on. Um, with live bait, I'll usually give it five, 10 minutes. Sometimes you just got to give them a minute to figure out that they're there. And then once we pull those in, check all the rods, rebate, put new fresh baits out there. I usually try to give most everywhere two baits unless I'm waiting on the tide for fish to get to a certain place. And I got another question that just came to my mind. Is there any advantage or maybe even a disadvantage when you're live bait fishing to having the rod in your hand versus having your rod in the rod holder? <laughs> um, oh, wait, that's something else we didn't even touch on that I should have brought up. Um, the easiest thing, and I try to push this on charters for a lot of people, is to just leave it in the rod holder because that takes a lot of the human error out of it. When you have the Snell circle hook on a Carolina rig, the rig itself is catching the fish for you. So once that fish picks up the bait, he swims off, lets that hook get kind of started to settle in his mouth. And then once he hits that egg weight, it sets the hook in his mouth. And whenever you see that rod barrel over and start pulling and you always, you want to have him, you want to have drag, but you don't want him to be tight and you don't want to have too much so they can just run. And it's that perfect combo that helps get them that hook buried in his mouth. And then you can pick up and start going. What a lot of people tend to do is if you have the rod in your hand that, you know, fishing impatience starts to take over and you want to, you, you want to start messing with the line. You want to start messing with the reel and you want to get your line tight. Um, something I, I should have touched on earlier, but I forgot to, you always want slack in your line whenever you uh, have your rig ready out there. If you have the line too tight, what ends up happening is when the fish starts to say your line's bowed and, you know, you have your line tight. What'll happen is once your bait gets disrupted, and your rod pulls back up, that's line that you're pulling away from the fish. So you always want to have a little slack in your line so that whenever he picks it up, it's a natural pickup for him. He's not having to try to chase it or have to figure out why the bait's running away from him. I follow that. And so what is what is the human error involved, like pulling on? I'm sorry I didn't quite catch that. So you're, the, the first thing you want to do, I mean, if what a lot of people do is as soon as they cast out, and their line hits, they'll reel it tight. And then they'll either hold it right there or they'll set it down and then keep cranking until it's tight. And it's just kind of a, if the rod's in your hands, you're giving yourself an opportunity to do something wrong with it, you know, to, to get tight on the line or to mess with the rod too much or to mess with your line too much. It's easier just to put the rod in the rod holder and wait and see what happens. All right. Hey, Matt. Um, Friendly City Fish and Charters. I mean, I know Red Drum is a is a love first love main love, but I'm sure you do other stuff throughout the year. How about a uh, a highlight reel of what Friendly City Fish and Charters is doing throughout the calendar year? Yeah, so we do um, everything inshore, nearshore, just that that full range of everything that Smalls has to offer. Um, we give 
in short during the summer, you know, you've got everything from flounder, black drum, sheep's head, um, croaker, sea mullet, and, you know, reds, obviously. And then once we move into the fall, that's still all those same species. But then we start getting into, uh, you know, the kings will move inshore or not inshore, but they'll move near shore. Um, during, you know, that June time, we'll be out there live baiting for Spanish mackerel. Um, and then come wintertime, I know we've talked, that's my favorite time of the year. It's so hard to convince people that when it's so cold, you couldn't imagine being on a boat is when the best red fishing of the year is. That's my personal favorite. And then spring, you start getting more into uh, that bit of uh, – uh, those are when your bigger, big schools of redfish are coming in. And that, that can be just those epic days where you're catching, you know, 50, 60 fish at a time. Um, and then, of course, trout fishing is the other big, big thing around here. Um, that late September all the way through December is going to be that hot time for trout. And that's another really big, big thing that I'm passionate about. So, uh, yeah, anything – that's what we offer throughout the year. And, uh, we can definitely all year long. There's something to be called. Right on Matt. Matt, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it a lot talking about the specifics of live baiting for redfish with you, man. And, uh, look forward to our next talk. Yeah, man. And, um, I just want to give a quick shout out, you know, people, uh, help me fish and help me get through it. Uh, fathom they're right out of Wilmington, uh, sponsor that helps take care of me. And, um, just want to give them a shout out. I know everybody knows fathom, uh, Brandon owner of the company told me they're a, they're a hack company that, make some really good fishing products. So, uh, you know, everybody thinks of Fathom Offshore, but they make some really awesome uh, inshore products. You know, they're popping corks, soft plastics, and uh, they make a bunch of other uh, jig heads, runner baits, a bunch of good stuff for inshore. So make sure you pick up some of those, and that'll give you a little edge to your game. Yeah, man, Fathom's certainly friends of Fisherman's Post as well, man. And, uh, and again, man, look forward to it, you know, and uh, again, I hope we're talking fishing again soon. Yeah, and um, you know, I want to offer. Go ahead and offer to take Billy fishing the first chance I get. <laughs> Boom! That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. I'm I'm in. <laughs> there, look at that, man. Look at that, man. I was yeah. I, okay, so he accepted the invitation to the pity party. Yeah, I know. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> I got friends somewhere. Not in this. Not in this studio. But somewhere. Actually, before Matt said that. I was really, and this is not just because Matt said he was going to take me fishing. I swear. <laughs> suspicious. He set me up, man. Set me up for failure here. But I was really going to say, like, he was promoting those Fathom products. And I was like, man, you know, something we, we do on our, our YouTube uh, page and all of our um, descriptions is we promote the captains that come on the show and put all their contact info, website, whatever information we have. And so I just wanted to remind people who are watching and listening, like, go support these guys, man. I'm just sitting here listening, and I'm like, dude, all the wisdom and knowledge these guys bring to this show, and absolutely free, just to support us, just to support the podcast, to support the fishing community. Like, go book a trip with these guys, man. Like, not just Matt, but, like, go through our whole YouTube thing and catalog and go through there and check those episode descriptions and I was really not, I did not set that up just because Matt told me he's going to take me fishing. I promise I didn't. I was just thinking how much knowledge this guy had, man. Like, you know, even that one little simple thing, you like snail your circle hook. Like I always tie those loop knots in there, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to try the, try the other way. So I'm not losing fish. And you know, Fisherman's Post, long history of fishing schools. And these guys come to these schools 
and I think they get what they come for. But one of the points I make into the mic, it was um, sort of being their host of the day, is like, it's such an easy jump for me in my mind to book one of these guys, man. Yeah. I mean, on the water knowledge, on the water fishing school. Because, you know, as you can see, man, they like to communicate. They like to teach their fishing ambassadors. And it'll up your game more quickly to go with them. Yeah. But, you man, know. Sorry to. Or just keep watching the podcast. Or just keep watching. Yeah, I guess keep watching. But, yeah, go support these guys, man. They they, they do a lot for, for the community and really help us. And, man, it's just I, I was just literally sitting there like, how grateful are we to have someone like Matt and some of, you know, all of our guests really come on and just drop so much knowledge. It's like, oh, wow. I don't think we've ever really said, like, hey, thanks, guys, and go support them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, maybe you do because, you you know, you interact with our guests way more than I do. But at times I'm like, oh, you know, whatever. Anyhow, sorry to jump in on no, you guys man. there. But uh, that, that was my takeaway is the little snail hook thing. And then, you know, I think it's a good takeaway for you, Gary, since you don't really like to fish by yourself and you like to not really work when you're fishing is to put in the rod holder man that was your takeaway <laughs> when he's like basically this setup will do catch that fish for you i'm like that's gary's kind of fish wait a second i think i'm supposed to be offended right now no you're not you just you like it you like when i can rib you you're like this is awesome keep them coming I got some pent up aggression for some reason tonight. I've been here too long. I I, I kind of like it. <laughs> I kind of dig it. Oh man! Anything else before we go? Make sure you support Marine Warehouse Center. Make sure you support Ra Hitch, and uh, really appreciate the, those guys pushing the show along as well. So yeah, man, it's, it's pretty awesome. simple math, man. Those those sponsors support the podcast, and it keeps the podcast going because. Yeah, man, we're here doing the podcast. We enjoy it. Our wives would probably prefer us to be home doing something at home, but the fact that we have some sponsorship support makes it easier to say, honey, I'm shooting podcasts tonight. Yeah, you can keep telling yourself that your wife wants you home. No. <laughs> All right, that's my last shot, man. We'll see you in the next episode. Next time. Is Matt...